This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles this morning to uh, Romans chapter 1. The Bible tells us that when God created the earth, He put Adam and Eve in the middle of it, breathed into Adam, and he became a living soul. The King James translation says he became a living soul. What happened there must have been the impartation of God putting his spirit, a part of him, inside Adam and Eve. Now, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26 why he did this. Genesis 1:26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our own image after our own likeness, and let them have dominion in the earth. And that's the way it was created. That's the way it was established. Well, since God never changes, we know that God's original purpose is his present-day purpose. And that purpose is defined as man having authority on the earth, the earth being created for man to have dominion over. But Adam and Eve messed it up. They sinned. They committed um, an act of treason against the one thing that God told them not to do, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where he forbid them to eat of that. The consequence of that was spiritual death. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, Wherefore, as by one man, talking of Adam, sin entered the world and death by sin. People don't have sin problems. They have death problems. There's a difference between committing sin and being spiritually dead. It wasn't the, the act of sin itself that was the problem for Adam and Eve. It was the consequence of that sin, of that transgression that brought the very thing that God told them would happen. He said, in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. But he can't be talking about physical death because Adam lived for 930 years on the earth. So he's got to be talking about spiritual death, which is separation from God. So at the moments that they fell, Adam and Eve's, lost their standing with God, lost their place with God, which was based solely and entirely on the Spirit of God having been breathed into them. The source of their life was eternal life, but they lost that. Well, now man's prized possession, uh, God's prized possession, excuse me, mankind is subject to and held in bondage to the spiritual death. And as a result of the spiritual death, that held us in bondage, that's why we sinned. See, you don't sin to create, you don't sin to make a situation of spiritual death occur. Spiritual death rules and reigns over the earth. And that's the reason why the unsaved do the things that they do. It's not a sin problem, it's a death problem, a spiritual death problem. So God had to come up with a way to re reinstate his creation, man, to that place where he was united with God. And Jesus tells us that that's eternal life through accepting him as Lord and Savior. What does that salvation do for us? If you look at the modern day church, the biggest thing that they accept or recognize or acknowledge about eternal life is that when we get to heaven, there'll be a place for us. Is eternal life only for heaven? Is eternal life only to make a place for us in heaven? 
If that was all there was to it, that'd be good. It'd still be worth being saved for. But God's got to have a better plan than that. He's got to have a means and a method for man to stand before him righteously. Or else God's plan of redemption isn't really worth too much. In this life, at least. Paul wrote to the church in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now notice verse 17. We usually focus on verse 16, but notice verse 17. It tells us why the gospel of Jesus is so important. For therein, in the word of God, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Notice this next phrase, from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. <clears throat> so what does the Bible identify for us? The book of Romans is, in, is uh, uh, unique in this respect. It's the only place, let me say it again, it's the only letter written to Christians where Paul has not been yet. He identifies several times throughout the book of Romans that he wanted to come to them, but he was hindered by the devil from coming. And it's the only letter to anybody that Paul wrote that he had not already established a work in, in that city. That's significant. At least it seems so to me. And here's why. We know what he did in the city of Corinth because of the letters to the Corinthians. We know what he did in the city of Ephesus because we know the letters to the Ephesians. We know what he did in Thessalonica and so forth. Colossae, Philippi, and other cities. We know what he did in those cities by the things that he wrote back to them concerning. But what do you write to a church, Christians, believers, in a city that you've never been to for the purpose of sharing the gospel? Paul doesn't know the entirety of their foundation in Rome like he does everywhere else he went. And so Paul writes a, a letter to stand in the place of what he would have taught them himself had he been there. And the whole book is about righteousness. We've seen before that God said in the Old Testament that in righteousness you shall be established. It's the foundation for everything. Righteousness, right standing with God being made a new creature in him, a new creation, not just restored to the place of fellowship that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden, but a righteousness that is greater than what they had in the beginning. See, Adam and Eve's righteousness was based on and originated with God's breathing into them the breath of life or the Spirit of God. But because it was based on a creation from God's side, about what he wanted things to be, how he wanted things to be, man's righteousness was lost by his own actions. Now, if that's what God restored us to, then it would require that we live a perfect life to ever stand before God in heaven. But that's not the righteousness we have now. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he said, for it is the power of God to every everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Here's the point I'm trying to get to. Without an accurate 
clear revelation of the righteousness of God, you can never stand in the place that God wants you to be. It has to be revealed. Paul doesn't take for granted that they know about righteousness. He doesn't take for granted that they've been taught and established on the truth of the, of the word that he would have taught, the revelation that Jesus gave him. He doesn't take that for granted. So he writes them a letter that is the most doctrinally complete expl explanation of what the righteousness of God is of anything we have record of. He says the righteousness of God is revealed through the word. Notice again that phrase, from faith to faith. Let me read this to you from a couple other translations. Darby's translation says, For righteousness, the righteousness of God is revealed therein, talking about in the word, on the principle of faith to faith, according as it is written, but the just shall live by faith. The Amplified Bible says it this way, For in the gospel a righteousness which God ascribes is revealed, both springing from faith and leading to faith, disclosed through the way of faith that arouses to more faith, as it is written, the man who through faith is just and upright shall live and shall live by faith. Why does the Bible say over and over again, the just shall live by faith? The word just means those who have been made righteous. You could substitute the word righteous and be exactly correct. The righteous shall live by faith. Notice the word does not say, the Bible does not say ever in any place that the just shall live by doing good things. You know what Paul's persecution was about? The whole reason that he ran into trouble, and he says himself, it was, and the Bible reveals it also, but the trouble that was stirred up by the Jews, every part of the problems that, God, that uh, Paul faced on the earth was a result of those people, the Jewish community, the Jewish people, resisting and in many cases refusing to give up the idea that what they did established a place with, for them with God. That was it. If Paul had just accepted the idea that, well, you need to accept Jesus and then keep the law if you want to, that, that's fine. He wouldn't have been persecuted. Look at it from the devil's point of view. Why did the devil try to stop so hard Stop, why did the devil try so hard to stop the ministry of Paul who taught that all you need is to accept Jesus in your end? Why did the devil fight that so much? Because folks, if the church, if we as believers ever come to the realization that the work is already done, that we have the same relationship with God as Jesus had when he was here on the earth, that his righteousness is our righteousness. If the church ever comes to that realization, the devil is sunk. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway.
To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Paul said, beginning in verse 1, he said, Therefore being justified, or therefore being made righteous, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ by whom we also have access, by faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now skip down with me to verse 17. For if, literally by the word if is the word since, for since by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. By one Jesus Christ. May I say it this way. The key to reigning in life is to understand the righteousness of God that you've been made. I don't think, we, I don't think it, there's any part of that statement that contradicts what Paul just said in Romans 5.17. And notice what he equated righteousness with. He equated it with reigning in life reigning in this life on the earth. In other words, exercising authority and dominion, Adam, the same authority, authority and dominion that Adam had when God created him in the Garden of Eden. But what has the, the devil got the church doing if not chasing their own tails, trying to be good, thinking that will give them some place with God? It's the way that it started in the beginning in Paul's day. It's the same way that it works today. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, Paul said, for it is the power of God unto salvation and everything salvation entails, healing, blessing, prosperity, peace, everything else. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. Remember in the Old Testament, God said in Isaiah, he said to his people that we are of his righteousness. Their righteousness is of me, he said. Their righteousness is of me. Here's the difference between what Adam had and what we have. Because what we have is sealed and obtained by the shedding of God's Son, the blood of God's Son, perfect blood, sinless blood. That, for that reason and only for that reason, your righteousness is not based on what you do. It's based on what he did. And the devil's got to stop that kind of knowledge from going forth. Because again, if the church ever figures that out, if the church ever comes to the realization of the truth, this truth, that is revealed through the word, then man again obtains or regains, literally, his place of authority in the earth. He can't let that happen. And so that's why he finds the idea so hard. That's why he wants to try to impress you and influence you and drive you to the place where you think that what you do matters when it comes to eternal life. The only thing that what you do matters when it comes to eternal life is accepting Jesus. From that point on, you're made the righteousness of God. So what does Paul do? Paul tells us about Abraham's faith. He tells us about how Abraham is the, the example for our faith. 
He recounts the Old Testament scripture in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 4, I believe it is, where it says, And Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. And he tells us that that's the way God intended in the beginning is the way he will always intend for things to be. And that is the just, the righteous, you, the children of God, shall live by faith. Not, by live, not live by faith in good works, but shall live by faith. Now, when Paul writes to the, the church in what we know of as the book of Hebrews, I believe Paul was the author. There's some dispute about that, but it's, it's certainly Paul's message. The author is inspired by the Holy Ghost to write to the Hebrews. Well, I tell you what, turn with me to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Notice something that Paul wrote. He identifies the means of salvation and shows us some great examples that we can follow. He says in verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. Through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. In other words, the, the seen realm was made from the unseen realm. Which means the unseen realm has to be the greater realm. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead yet speaks. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not, and was not found, because God had translated him, but before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it's impossible to please God. In other words, Paul's saying since Enoch had the testimony of pleasing God, he had to have been walking in faith. But without faith it's impossible to please God, verse 6 says, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. May I summarize that in, in this way? He that comes to God must believe that what God said about himself is true. And that's what faith is. Faith is believing that what God said is true, believing that his promises will come to pass, believe that it shall be exactly the way God said it. Now, we sometimes have to break it down into a formula, believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. But that, in a nutshell, that's what faith is. Faith is simply believing what God said is true, believing what God said he would do, he will do, believing that his words will come to pass. That's all faith is. And that's the way that the Bible says the just, those who have been made righteous, shall live. Now, I want you to get this. Paul, inspired by the Holy Ghost, I, I believe it was Paul. Forgive me for keep saying it. Nobody knows for sure, except me. But... Uh, <laughs> I'm pretty well convinced. I, I, you may not have figured that out, but I'm pretty well convinced. Anyway, the writer is impressing upon the readers, those Jews who won't let go of the law of Moses. Now, for the most part, these are Jewish Christians. They have made Jesus the Lord of their lives, but they won't let go of the word of, of the law. They won't let go of the do's and don'ts, the rules and regulations that the law of Moses imposed. They just won't do it. And they won't do it in such a fashion that they're persecuting Paul and messing up the work, in this, the, the work that he established in the towns and the cities that he went to. Because their idea 
is that we've got to do something to be, for God to be okay with us. We've got to do something. We've got to live in such a way that God would be pleased with us. Now, I would submit to you, they're not living in that way. They're not living lives that are good enough to make them okay with God. They don't even claim that to be the fact. But they won't turn loose of the idea that you've got to do good things for God to be happy with you. It seems to me that spirit's still working in the church today. So what does Paul do? Paul gives us further examples. He talks about Abraham. He talks about Noah. He talks about Sarah. He talks about David. He gives us good examples of people who were known for their faith. And every one of those people, in every case, the Bible tells us about how these people messed up, committed sin, in many cases, grievous sin. David committed adultery and killed Bathsheba's husband. But that did not disqualify him from being part of the group that was known as living by faith. Same thing with Noah. Noah got drunk as soon as the ark was found dry land. First thing he did was planted a vineyard so he could grow grapes, so he could make wine, so he could get drunk. And there's an example of a man living by faith. Now, I know a lot of people want to twist the word around. They'd like to insert the scripture that says, go and do thy likewise. <laughs> I'm not sure that was Paul's point. But folks, you need to realize something else. Samson is on that list of men and women of faith. Samson. Folks, Samson was a platinum member of the Harlot's Reward Club. If there was a frequent customer discount, he had it. So what does it tell us? It tells us that these men were counted as righteous before God. They didn't have the righteousness that we'd have because Jesus hadn't come yet. But they're counted as righteous before God in spite of the sexual sin, in spite of drunkenness, in spite of adultery, in spite of murder. They're still on the list. I don't think people get it. I don't think people understand that the point that Paul is trying to make, the point that he does make, is that these men, human beings, subject to failure just like you and me, were accounted as righteous before God just because they believed. And their belief canceled out everything else that we would normally think would disqualify them from being righteous. What's the point? Go do whatever you want to do? That's not the point. The point is, once you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that the devil can influence you to do. There's no sin you can stumble into that will make you unrighteous. Turn with me over to Romans chapter 6. Paul tells us in his writings, he shows us that there were certain responses or ways that people responded to his preaching. 
He starts in verse 1, after having talked about being made righteous by the blood of Jesus and reigning in life through his righteousness. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, folks, that would not be a question if it wasn't an accusation that was made against Paul's preaching. The reason Paul asked the question is because he says, I know that this absolute righteousness that I'm preaching through belief, through faith in Jesus as the risen Savior, I know what people will do with that. I know some will say, well, since it doesn't matter, let's just do whatever our flesh wants to do and be okay with God. If that was not the case, why is he asking the question? If that's not a logical conclusion that some, for their own purposes, would, would draw, why does he ask the question? There's got to be a reason that the Holy Ghost drew him into this line of thinking. So <clears throat> it might do us good to say it this way. The Holy Ghost is asking the church, so what do you think you should do? Live in sin because you're righteous and not care about sinful acts? What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God forbid. Now, what is God forbidding? Paul uses the phrase, God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer, live any longer therein? <clears throat> the phrase that he asks, or the question, he, how he says this, God forbid. What is God forbidding? God would forbid the attitude that since we're made righteous, we can do whatever we want to do. God's forbidding that attitude. He's not forbidding the sin that we stumble into. He's not forbidding that which we fall into when we yield to the influence of the devil. <clears throat> Paul's going to explain in the next chapter his own struggle with these things. How that from his spirit, he wants to do the right thing, but his heart, I mean, but his body is leading him to do something else. He doesn't say... Those that continue in sin, those that continually fall into sin, just wait your time. Sooner or later, you'll do enough to where you'll lose your salvation. He didn't say that. <clears throat> He's saying that God forbids the attitude that my personal sin doesn't matter. Well, if your personal sin matters, <clears throat> and if it's supposed to matter to us, why? We've already been made righteous. We're not going to lose that salvation. We're not going to lose that righteousness. So why should we care? Because God left us here on the earth, as Jesus said, to occupy until he comes. And the best place for you and me to occupy is in our own lives. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he conferred authority over the devil to the church in his name. He said, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on the earth shall be loosed in heaven. Heaven backs us up when we use the authority that's in the name of Jesus. Take authority over the devil and over your circumstances today in the name of Jesus. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. It may not make sense to you and may not be able to be proven by your natural life. But when you come to the realization that that is what has already happened, 
that that's how God sees things, that's how God has decreed things, then you start seeing yourself as something more than the actions of your flesh. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.